I hadn't really ever showed up for the national team. And then like I went out there and I scored my first ever hat trick for the national team. So I was like, oh, this is so good. And then like literally just after that, that's like all I needed is like one game to like reinforce, like just be yourself, just be who you are. Welcome to the Just Woman Sports Podcast, where we talk to the biggest athletes in the world about the untold stories behind their success. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and my guest today is Sam Kerr. Sam Kerr has a claim to being the best goal scorer on the planet. She holds the all-time scoring record in not one, but two soccer leagues, Australia's W League and the NWSL in America. The captain of Australia's national team, she recorded her first cap when she was just 15 and has already played in three World Cups. A two-time NWSL MVP and four-time Footballer of the Year in Australia, Sam now plays for Chelsea in the Women's Super League in England. Sammy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. (laughs) How you doing? Yeah, good. How are you? I'm good. You just had a birthday. I say it's still my birthday. I have a birthday week. Okay, yeah. That's fair. (laughs) I think having a birthday week is completely acceptable. Yes. Well, that's a good place to go back to the beginning. We're going to (laughs) start from where it all started with you, which you were born in Perth, Australia, And most of our listeners, I think, are based in the U.S. I think we probably have some international listeners. But Perth is not your typical, like, city that you hear about in Australia. You hear about Sydney, Melbourne, those places. But you're from Perth. So how would you describe Perth, Australia? The quiet achiever. You know, we're just like... We're just like that state that everyone's like, oh, yeah, Perth, but like never pays any attention to, but we're the best state. We're like on the West Coast. We've got the best weather, best beaches, best athletes. Uh, (laughs) Exactly. Like people always say, oh, Perth's so boring, but we're like, yeah, we love it. Like it's smaller. It's still a big city, but it's maybe not as, I guess, buzzing as Melbourne and Sydney, but we like it that way. For sure. All right. So you grew up playing Australian rules football. So Aussie, Aussie football. Yeah. You love AFL. (laughs) It's your favorite thing. I, when we lived together, you would wake up and be watching the games, freaking out. So how'd you get into AFL or Aussie football? Obviously (laughs) family ties there, but kind of explain that for us. Yeah. I think it's just one of those things that I was kind of like born into my dad played, my brother played, all my family played. And where I'm from in Perth is like AFL through and through, like football, soccer, like any other sport is like second to AFL. So it's just, yeah, it's just kind of, I don't even know how to explain it. Like I can't imagine my life without it because even still now I get up and watch the games here. I still know all the players in the league. So it's kind of like, I guess like in America, how people are diehard NFL fans. I'm a diehard AFL fan but when I played it it was no girls league so I only played with boys. Can you explain a brief description of AFL or or Aussie rules football for people who don't know? Okay so everyone always says is it rugby and I'm like it's not rugby you cannot throw the ball you can hand pass it which means you put the ball on your your palm and you (laughs) you hand pass it. So like you put your hand out and hand pass means you basically like punch the ball out of the other hand. Yeah, punch the ball. Yeah. 
And then like if you hand pass, it's always play on so you can always be tackled. But if you kick the ball to someone out of your hands, so you like have the ball in your hands and you drop it and kick it and they catch it, you have like time to go back and set up and take like your kick. So it's very free flowing because like if someone touches it, it's play on. And then there's obviously four goalposts. If you kick it between the two big ones, it's six points. If it goes anywhere on the side, it's one point. And then, and you have to kick it to score. You can't run it in to score. Yeah, you have to kick it. Okay. There's yeah, no touchdowns, that's... no tries. Kick okay. the ball through the big posts. <laughs> How old were you when you started playing? Well, they have like this thing, it's called Oz Kick. And it's like for little kids and it's like, you know, I used to get so frustrated because you have to stay in your area and when the ball comes in, then you can go for it. And I used to get really angry because like I don't have the patience to stay in a little square. (laughs) No. (laughs) But yeah, I was probably like five or six. Yeah, I was really young. And you started with the boys. Yeah, I played only with the boys. And some boys didn't know you were a girl, right? No, they didn't because I was (laughs) – I looked like a boy. Um, yeah, my mum used to – I had an auntie that was a hairdresser and she'd just cut my hair however I wanted it. So I'd literally come home from the hairdressers with, like, blonde tips in my hair, short. <laughs> yeah, I was out there as a kid. That's amazing. And apparently one cried when they found out you were a girl. <laughs> was that because you were so good? Uh I don't know, maybe, but I still see boys out now and they come up and they're like, man, you used to run rings around us when we we were kids. No way. (laughs) Yeah, they still, and it's cute because like for a guy to say that, it's just funny. They just treated me like I was a boy and that's what I liked about it. Yeah, that's nice. So your dad played and your brother was professional. And so that was basically why you were so into it. It was a family thing. Yeah, it definitely was a family thing. And we were always had the footy trying to snap it in the house. Mum used to hate it. But yeah, I've just always been ingrained in it, I guess. And then when my brother played, I was like, I was young. So like being a young kid growing up, having your brother as a professional athlete, that was like awesome, you know? Totally. It's kind of, it's like yeah. having a brother in the States in the NFL or the NBA yeah. or something like that. It's like, wow, it's like, that's what you want to do. It's like your hero playing and then he comes home and it's your brother. So it was just footy, footy, footy for me. Yeah, that's so cute and awesome. So you were an Aussie football kid growing up and you hated soccer. Is that true? (laughs) I didn't hate it. I just, I don't know, it probably kind of has the same stigma in in America. It's seen in Australia as a sport that it's got no grit. It's kind of Mm. like people don't appreciate it for what it is. They don't appreciate, like now I play football, soccer, I'm like, oh, my God, that's like they didn't score a goal and my mum's like, how boring. And I'm like, oh, but it was such a good game. Like yeah. we appreciate what happens in the game. But in Australia, even now, like people hate that people roll around on the ground when you watch men's games and all that. And it's kind of seen as a sport, like I don't know what word to use that can be used on this, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I know what you're trying to say. <laughs> so, so at what point did you change your mind and get into football? American, yeah. you know, not American football, but world football, yeah. soccer. Yeah. It wasn't up to me. It was like just after I'd turned like 11, the boys started to like grow up a lot. And like mm. me being a young girl, I kind of was still tiny. You know what it's like. So the boys, like the first half of the season, they were like my size. And then the second half, they were like huge, you know. And I think I came home with like a blood lip and a black eye one day. And my brother being 
protective brother and my dad, they just kind of, nah, they spat it. They said this is not happening anymore, like wanted really? to go down there. And, yeah, so then my cousin was playing soccer and they just said, all right, you're going with him. We were really close at the time. And, yeah, they just kind of said it's getting too rough, too dangerous, which is probably true. Like it was kind of like there's no women's leagues at that point, so you got to go. So were you – excited to try soccer or was it it was more so for like you said it was forced upon you and it was kind of it was your only option yeah I definitely wasn't excited like I tried every position under the sun in soccer I yeah I tried playing as the goalie like everything and then because I was fast they would just like shove me up top and got rid of me up there but and like I went from being like one of the best in my team to like being the worst in my team. I was so bad because like it's a different skill, you know. So totally. And then like I didn't like watching soccer at that point. I was like, oh, this is boring. Go watch. I'd I'd literally go play soccer, train for soccer, and play, and then go home and watch AFL all weekend. So it wasn't like connected to my interests at that point. For sure, makes sense. So you started soccer at twelve, which mm-hmm. is late. And you debuted for the national team at 15. That's just insane. And for somebody who is like not even, not even really interested in it, you're just like, oh, this is an activity that I can do. And I, my brother and dad made me go play soccer. <laughs> so how did you make the, the jump from being introduced to the sport? You say you're, you're terrible and you try every position to at age 15, you're wearing your country's jersey yeah I think I'm very lucky I'm very fortunate to have a lot of athleticism and I think at that time you're slightly slightly athletic just a little bit yeah 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 (laughs) so like at that time it like I remember my mum always tells this story which is like hilarious but the first time I played in like a a full season one of the national team at the time like scouts came up to me and said hi Sam like we're wanting you to come try out for the national team, the youth team. And I said, no, that's okay. Thank you very much though. And walked off. (laughs) And my mum's like, what? And I was like, I don't want to play. I never want to play it seriously. I'm just having fun. And the the guy was like shocked. And mum had to come back and be like, no, like come speak to him. But I just had never, never any plan to do it seriously. It was always just for fun. And then, I think it just escalated really quickly. Like I went to my first like under-17s camp and then from that they pushed me up to the 20s. So I was doing 17s, 20s and then got my call up for the national team. But it's crazy. So mum and dad were like not even there for my first game, like no family members because I was like, oh, don't worry, don't come, I'm not going to (laughs) play. So not everyone. And my mum still like is like, I missed your first game and I'm like, it's all right, like. I just never thought I was going to play. So told everyone to go home, not come. And yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So even at 15, when you get your first call up, you play in your first game. Does that trigger something in your mind of, oh, I can actually do really well in this or you are still enjoying yourself? Nah, yeah. I was still like, I remember that night when they told me that I was going to be on the bench, I was actually upset because I was like, honestly, like I wish I could redo my like first match over again. Cause now I watch young, like younger people do it. And I'm like, wow, it's like such a moment. And it's so like cool. And like everyone in the team kind of like really gets behind them. And like, I don't ever feel like I had that moment. Cause like, I, I can't even really remember it. I was so young and so nervous and just like, 
blasé about everything, but I don't really think I got like I'm going to be serious until I was like 17 when, I don't know, it's hard to like, I guess also there wasn't really much for women's football at that time. So now it's like, oh, like we have like so much opportunity, but back then we didn't, so... Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you 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 make your debut at 15 and then you're 16 years old, you go to your first big tournament, the 2010 Asian Cup with the Matildas, which do you want to explain the Matildas, what that is? <laughs> it's just y'all's name. Everyone always asks me that and I'm like, it's just an Aussie thing. Like yeah. we all have these names, like um, rugby teams, the Wallabies. Like, the Wallabies, that's so cute. Yeah. Like I think that New Zealand does it too. They probably copied us, but uh, – <laughs> I don't know. It's it's just our name, but like, I just want to be called Australia sometimes. All right. Well, anyway, you make your debut 15 with the Matildas 2010 Asian Cup. You're 16. You guys win that tournament. You score in the finals against Korea. At that point, were you like, oh, this is, this is what I like. I'm meant to do this. Um, I wouldn't say I was like, I'm meant to do this, but I was like, this is so cool. Like, we on my first tournament we win the Asian Cup first team ever I was like I could get used to this like this is cool like (laughs) you know um and we haven't won anything since so that was like (laughs) well you have we'll talk about that later you have okay okay but like so the Asian Cup like I understood how big it was back then I guess but now I'm like wow what we did was like really amazing because there was less teams going to the World Cup like we were like new to the Asian Federation like Japan was so good, South Korea was so good and China was so good that like it was really amazing like to be a part of. But I still was like, oh, this is so cool. Like I, it's not that I didn't think I belonged, but I just thought I was like going along for the ride, if that makes sense. Like I never was like, oh, yeah, this is like this is me. But I feel like that's kind of you in a nutshell. You're very you're so chill off the field, but and and kind of just go with the flow. But then on the field, you're like a cold-blooded killer (laughs) yeah no yeah I feel like that is me like even now still I'm like oh yeah like that's cool (laughs) exactly you're so oh my gosh so that's 2010 win the Asian Cup 2011 you go to the World Cup at 17 that's so young that's Mm. insane so and you are one of seven that go on that roster that are under the age of 20 Kaylin mm-hmm. Ford is on that roster. Emily Van Eggman is on that team. And you guys are now the veteran core of the Matildas. <laughs> well, first of all, when you when you went to that tournament, you're, you're basically still a kid. So were you, again, still enjoying the ride? Or at this point, are you like, I have big aspirations? Yeah, I think for me, that was the first moment. Like, I didn't play as much as I wanted to that World Cup. So I think that was like the first time that I had like disappointment that I was like, oh, I actually care. Like, you know, when like something happens and you're like, oh, I don't care. But then when it, you do care, you're like, why do I care? Totally. And so, it like, registers as something different yeah. to you. Yeah. So like, that was the first time that I was like, okay, like I'm going to do what I can to like be in the team. And that's when it was kind of mm-hmm. like changing point for me. Like I do want to push the boundaries with what I can do and what I can give. So I think so a little that- bit of not living up to the expectation that you had essentially a, f- a failure. I mean, going to the World Cup isn't a failure, but in terms of the amount of playing time that you got and the role that you played in the team, that is what triggered, oh, I actually mm. do want this. I want to be successful. I want to go as far as I can. Yeah, I think so. I think like I was just kind of riding the wave of like young kid, no expectations, like 
having fun and then like yeah I just wanted to be there on the field but I couldn't so I was like I obviously care makes sense it is interesting how that happens you don't realize it until something almost bad happens that you're Mm. like oh I actually you know it's the heartbreak it's the letdown that makes you realize oh my heart's in this I do really want this pretty badly yeah I like don't know what you got till it's gone. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> so this young group of players on the team, did you at that point think, oh, like we're going to be the future? Because now you guys make up this core, you guys have built through the years, this core veteran group that essentially has brought you to pretty high success on the international stage. Yeah, I think we were pretty, I guess we were aware that we were going to be together for a long time. Um, but I think we, I, or I didn't think like we're going to be the future, but I knew that we would play like big roles. Like people were always saying like we have like the golden generation coming through. Um, so it was always like talked about, but I think it's kind of cool now. Like I was only talking about it when I was at dinner the other night with them. I was like, guys, we've known each other for like a decade now. That's disgusting. Like <laughs> I've spent probably more time with them in the last 10 years than I probably have with my family. Like it's it's crazy. So it's really cool to look back on now. We've lost a few, gained a few, like it's, it's, yeah, it's been nice. You guys have built solid core on that team. A little intimidating at times. So you go to the world cup, you're let down and then you transition from just playing in Australia in the W league there um, which you were playing for Perth Glory. And then in 2013, you head over to the U.S. for the inaugural season of the NWSL. And what went into that decision for you? Because you're still young at that point. Yeah, I remember the coach that I had like been training with in Australia knew the coach. So it kind of like was lucky by me. Like this coach that I had been training with knew the head coach, Aaron, at the time at um, Western New York and he kind of said to Aaron like you got to like look at this young kid like she's going to be blah 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 whatever he said and then Aaron <laughs> just like said do you want to come over as like a young player like for me it was just like oh why wouldn't I like I'd just finished school I was had nothing else going for me so it was like let's do it like it honestly happened within like a week it was like okay let's go like no thought really and you went to Rochester New York yeah, well, actually, Buffalo, Buffalo, New York. <laughs> but Rochester's where we, Rochester's where we played our games. But I didn't live there. What was it like living in a different country? Uh, <laughs> well, it was my first time ever, like living out of home. Yeah, my mum was like so sad that I left, and I was like, "Why are you so sad?" And then I got there, and I was like, "Oh my god, the washing doesn't do itself," and like, <laughs> "Where's Roxy?" <laughs> yeah, I was literally like, "Oh god," like. I didn't think of the things that I'd have to do. And like, it was daunting. Like, you know, the first few months I didn't really feel at home, you know, Mm -hmm. luckily I had two teammates that had just moved out of college that I lived with, but yeah, I was young and all those girls were like 22, 23. So they had lived out of home with college. So they probably think I was really weird because all I would eat was pasta and sauce. So So how was the first year? Obviously off the field is a significant transition, but how was the transition on the field playing professional soccer in the U.S. and probably being the youngest player on the team? 
Yeah, I think I was the second youngest in the league. Caitlin was the only one younger than me. But, yeah, it was it was good. Like I felt like I went back to being like the kid with no expectations and then I really thrived off that at the time. So I think like I had, I don't know how many goals, but like for a young person I feel like I had a, a good season and, I mean, I was playing with some of the biggest players in the world at the time. I think Abby had just won like World Player of the Year or something. Yeah. So. And then there was like Carly and there was a few Spanish players. So we had like a big team, but I feel like I adapted well. But like I said, I I thrived off being that like kid with no expectations. Um, I wasn't probably as consistent as I would have liked to have been, but I was also 18. So, I mean, I loved it. I remember Abby and Carly both spoke. I didn't know very much about you at that time. We we didn't know each other. I just knew, you know, this young Aussie player was over here and they both spoke very highly of you and just, you know, how athletic and like you're just this intense threat in front of the goal <laughs> and almost like this raw talent. You'd only been playing soccer for seven yeah. years at that point. I still think your story is crazy in terms of how quickly you went from getting introduced to soccer to succeeding and being who you are today. But, um, you know, you're in the end of a cell, you're young, you're living in another country, a couple years go by and we're going into the 2015 world cup. But before that you have a really bad knee injury and you have to get surgery and that it wasn't even clear if you were going to be able to play in 2015 world cup. So walk us through that at you know when did the injury happen when did you have the surgery and what was that rehab like getting ready for 2015 yeah so it actually happened when i was playing in perth in the semi final or no the the game before the semi final so our team was the best all year we hadn't lost a game and literally got injured in the last game of the season and just not to interrupt you but for people listening you for a long time or, you know majority of your career you'd play in the NWSL and then you'd go home and you would play in the W League in Australia because the yeah. the timing lines up where you can play the season in the US and then you can go play the season and it's almost like 12 months of soccer. So you're back playing for Perth in 2014 leading into 2015. Yeah, so it's weird. Like nothing really happened. I just felt like something going in my knee and I was like, oh, that felt weird. And I tried to keep running and like I got like immense pain in my knee and I could tell something was wrong. Got a scan, had like a really big hole in my cartilage in the middle of my knee. So I got like a crazy surgery it was in a brace non-weight bearing for like eight weeks and the world cup was like october or november so it was like close to the world cup for a knee injury for like what i was having done when i got out of the brace i was like oh cool i'm gonna walk and i literally couldn't walk like i didn't trust my leg to like hold me up so i moved to the east coast of perth went to like our olympic training center Mm -hmm. yeah i spent 10 weeks there literally every day twice a day just like rehabbing it was like really mentally draining but like i knew that would be the only way i made the world cup team and then yeah it was like a grind up until i think like two weeks before the first game i played my first like minutes it was really, really close and, like, I felt like I had, like, the best support stuff around me, but there was, like, if I had one hiccup, it was, like, that was it. So it was quite stressful time. And that was your first big in- serious injury as a professional? Well, I did my ACL before that, but when I was, like, 17, so, like... Mm. So you're like, yeah, it's, this is fun. Like, this was the one that, like, worried me because, like, your cartilage is, like, you don't mess around with it. Totally. Whereas, like, ACLs, I feel like 
not that they're not a big injury, but like everyone comes back from ACLs. And this injury, like a lot of people said to me, like, if this doesn't work, like we can't just put more cartilage in your knee. Like it could not get better. Yeah. But luckily it did. And yeah, <laughs> we just. And you end up moved. going to the World Cup. Yeah, going to the World Cup. Where was that? Canada. Yeah. On, yeah. yeah. We played you guys the first game, right? I think. Oh, yeah. How game? could I forget? We played you, Nigeria, and Sweden, the group of death, huh? Yeah. Not for you guys. Like you guys don't care who's in your group. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> but but yeah. you guys, you do really well in that tournament. You guys go on, you beat Brazil to advance the quarterfinals, which was mm-hmm. a huge game. I still remember watching that game. And then you're coming off an injury, but this is your second World Cup. Because you're injured, were you like, I I still have these expectations of myself to play, to play this role? Or were you kind of like, I just hope I'm there? No, I was like, like in those four years, so much had changed. So I was like, I want to have like this massive impact. I had a lot of expectations. I was still playing on the wing, I'm pretty sure. So I still hadn't transitioned into the nine, but like I still had massive expectations on myself. Yeah, it was just tables had turned completely from 2011 to 2015, that's for sure. So at what point between 2011 and 2015 were you like, all right, I have it. I can do this. I can be Sam Kerr. Um... I don't think I'd had that moment yet. I don't think I'd had like, okay, I've got to get my stuff together. Like I still was like having expectations. Like I can be a good player, like in the Matildas. Yeah. That's why I was curious. Cause I feel like you didn't have that until a year or two later, but we'll get into that. But so you guys lose in the quarters and after the tournament, you ruptured a ligament in your left foot. When was that? It was again in the W League. The World Cup finished in July, went home, went to the NWSL, right? Yeah. Yeah. Were you playing for Western New York in 2015? No, that must have been playing for Sky Blue. Okay, that makes sense. So you're on Sky Blue at that point. Woo, Sky Blue. Yeah. So you come back and you get injured again. In my first another, game. Yeah, and another serious injury. Like, yeah. this injury is no joke. Yeah, so this one probably was worse than, I don't know, like, than any of my injuries like in your foot like you know you've had ankle like surgery it's like different it's like you can't do anything if your foot's not okay like it's really infuriating (laughs) yeah yeah the feet are important yeah (laughs) I had like three surgeries on it so then I had a plate and four screws put in and then the plate was causing me trouble so I didn't ever feel good and yeah I, I actually lucked out like Dr. Stamos actually did some research, found the guy in America that made the plate that Mm -hmm. was in my foot. So he was like really helpful and said like, you need to get the plate out immediately. So literally within two days, like Stamos had me in hospital and I was getting the plate out. And then you were off to the races. Yeah. And literally once I got it out, I reckon I played maybe three weeks later. I was about to say it was quick. It was a couple weeks, which is wild. Mm -hmm. Would you say this was a low point at your career? I mean, mentally going through two major injuries in a span of 12, 14 months is pretty intense. And, you know, that's, and it's happening during a time of, which for footballers, you know, the the World Cup and Olympic years being back to back, it's like the most intense part of the four year cycle. So you're having to sit out, you're having to rehab for most of it. And then, but you're able to play in the major tournament. So what was that like mentally for you? 
yeah, that was like really, really tough. Like I am like definitely not ashamed to admit it, but like I find like it was like the most difficult point in my like life, not only career. Like when you are like loving something so much, like I love playing football, but I also love being like in a team environment. So I felt like for like 12 months I was just like totally taken away from the team and like spent most of my time with like a physio or like on the side of the field and like that's so frustrating like you miss out on so much when you miss like travel days like not training or like doing recovery together you miss out on so much so I felt really secluded from the Mm -hmm. team and like anyone who knows me knows that like (laughs) I'm like a club that's what I love like I love like bantering you with love the, girls the camaraderie and, you love yeah. the team environment you so love the the, yes so like I was like very sad and then at the same time like I couldn't play football and like I felt like I was missing out on a lot like you know the that's like your career like I'd missed a year of football and people were like playing heaps of games doing heaps of like things that I wish that I could do it was really tough but I feel like it also changed me and like made me appreciate what I have and what I, what I do for a job. And yeah, it was nice. Do you think those injuries made you realize, Oh, like I, I do really want to be on the field doing this, being as successful as possible. Yeah. I think definitely the third one, the, the foot injury too, because I was like, okay, like I care so much about this. And like when I was watching other people do stuff, I was like, wow, that's so sick. Like that could be me. That could, I could totally do that. And you know, when you like, watch people do things and you're like that's so sick but then you're also like that I could do that not in like a, an arrogant way in a way that's like why can't I do that like that's yeah. I can totally do that you know and I knew that when I was coming back from that foot injury it was like all right it's gonna be time now yeah it's go time for Sam which yeah. it turns into <laughs> that because you guys go to 2016 World Cup what I don't even how did you guys do in that tournament I mean we lost in the quarters I think it was the quarters. Olympics yeah you sorry mean? yeah Olympics. yeah we lost in the same, the quarters to you, the, the same as you, we lost in a penalty shootout to Brazil. Um, Got it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So we like, I thought we started the, tw- we lost to Can or we tied, I don't know, I can't remember, but we didn't start very well and then we are playing catch up and because the squads are smaller in the Olympics, yep. we just like ran out of legs. We had a lot of injuries. You know, if you don't start well, you kind of always like playing catch up. You have to play your best team every game. Whereas we felt like if we had a started well, we could have maybe rotated a bit more. Makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, we didn't do bad, but we, yeah, we just died in the end. Yeah. I mean, I feel you, but I feel like this is Sam. This is where it gets good. Not that it hasn't been good <laughs> up to this point, but you know, you, you have the Olympics, you have these injuries, you overcome them. And in, I think that it kind of flipped a switch in your mind where you realize like, oh, okay, I want to make the most of the of my career when I'm on the field because I've been sitting out for, you know, basically the last two years. 2017, sky blue season, you absolutely crush the league <laughs> in scoring the game everybody remembers, which I will never forget. We're playing... Seattle. Seattle. And we're down 3-0 at halftime, which is just like, <laughs> ugh. And we're like in a place in the table in the standings where we really need to win this game. And it's kind of like if we lose, we're done for the season. You come back and you score four goals in the second <laughs> half, which is an NWSL record for goals in a game. And we win 5-4. It was insane. Do you feel like that was a statement game? Do you feel like that was your turning point? 
Like, oh my God, I can do this. Like, I'm freaking good. <laughs> no, Come on. I, no, no, no. I actually feel like it was a game before that. There oh, was, which one? Okay. It's kind of crazy, but back then, remember Becky? She was like bossing everyone and we played Kansas and we okay. needed to come back. And yep. I actually think you played the ball to me and I slid headed it in and we yep. came back 2-1 and it was like, and I think we were down a player. Or were yeah, they we down were. A player? Da- we were no, we were down a player, and we were down one nil. We and were we came down back a player, and we won. And it was like, oh my god, if I can do that against Becky, why can't I do that every weekend? Like Becky was like, no one was getting past her, and it was Kansas, you know. Yeah. And I always say like that Seattle game, like in the change room. I don't know how, if you, how you felt, but I never thought we we're going to lose. Like, I was just like, we've got this. Like, we're we're going for it. And like that game, like I was like, yeah, like. That's sick, obviously, but, like, I kind of felt like we could do it. And the Kansas game to me was like, okay, I can do this often. And then playing the Seattle game, it wasn't the moment where I changed my thought. It was like I realized, like, okay, I can. Yeah, it was kind of like it was building. And like you said, I I knew that it wasn't just the Seattle game that year because you did it a couple times where it was like, whoa, how did you, you know, you just had some insane goals. We had some insane comebacks and you just kind of, were able to put your stamp on the game and you just took over games if we needed you to. Yeah, I feel like we thrived on – we were the underdog always. Totally. And, like, if we had just won the games that we should have won that season, we would have been, like, <laughs> second. But we always lost. And then, like, we shouldn't have beat Seattle that year. Like, they were one of the top teams. Yeah. But we did. And, like, we would always lose the easy games. So I feel like I thrived off being, like, the underdog. And, like, that was kind of the start of, like, okay, you can do it, but, like – Later down the track, obviously, I've started to be like, okay, you have to do it without being three goals down. True. (laughs) You need to do it every time, even when you're not the underdog, because you are no longer the underdog. You are Sam Kerr, like I keep saying this whole interview. (laughs) But so in that season, you set the league record for goals in a season with 17. You won what would become your first of three golden boots in a row. And then you were also league MVP. So you kind of already touched on it, but that you think that the underdog mentality was a big part of you being so successful and kind of like rising up and having such an insane year. Yeah, I think like that's what kind of Sky Blue was at that point. And that's how our team was. And I think the whole team kind of thrived off it. Like we all kind of got really fired up when like something bad would happen to us. And I think also because we were a close team, that's what kind of happened but yeah I think that was the season where I thrived on being the underdog or the the nobody really like I was like like I said I would watch people do it and I was like I can do that like why why aren't I doing it you know yeah I feel like that's that's your secret sauce you're like I can do that but also I'd just like to add that's the year that we were housemates so I think that that probably contributed to your success yeah I I will say I probably haven't got any nice little sliding headers in since that season like come on Kev used to give some good balls from from right back there listen I know how to drop them in the box I just need somebody who has springs in their feet to finish them and yeah you score with your head like you score with your feet good times (laughs) we had good times but then not just in pro league, but with, you know, national team for the Matildas, you said you haven't won a tournament since 2010 Asian cup, but you guys won the U S tournament tournament of nations and you beat us, you beat Japan and you beat Brazil. And in the Brazil game, you scored a hat trick. No, you scored a hat trick against Japan and then you scored against Brazil and you guys beat them six one. So 
I feel like that was maybe not, I mean, it kind of coincides with like you arriving, if you want to call it that, but also Matilda's putting their stamp on international soccer being like, yeah, we're here to compete and we're going to be a team that you don't want to go up against. Yeah, I think I think I should probably add the Sky Blue season is the first season I played as the nine, to mm. which I felt like I found my position. Like That's I true. found where I was playing. And then I feel like I'd always just done well for my club or been like here and there, but national team, I like I think I'd played like forty games and had like eighteen goals. And then like I hadn't really ever showed up for the national team and like I did a lot of work with like a psychologist about like sports psych, like getting in the zone, like what I do at club, trying to bring that to national team and like kind of figured it out that what I do at club is just like be who I am. And like when I come into national team, I'm like so tense and like mm. so I just tried to like I remember the night before the game we did like lots of work before the Japan game and then like I went out there and I scored the hat, my first ever hat trick for the national team. So I was like, oh, this is so good. And then like literally just after that that's like all I needed is like one game to like reinforce like just be yourself just be who you are and then yeah just kind of went from there and started scoring (laughs) yeah exactly I still yeah I remember watching that Japan game I was just like oh my god what is happening (laughs) this girl is on fire she can't be stopped do you do you think that there was this positive reinforcement of working with a sports psych and then seeing the success on the field yeah for sure because like I'm someone that doesn't really believe in all that stuff and just like oh like I don't no, I wouldn't say believe in it, but I've never like focused on it because I've just always been like happy go lucky, whatever. But for me to like spend some time on like how my brain thinks and what I'd like take notice of and like your thoughts are like crazy in a game. So like it was just really interesting to like just focus on what I could control rather than everything else going on. Cause like I'm so like, I have the patience of a pea. So like a bit of over in the game. Yeah, you're not <laughs> a head case in sometimes or some, you know, situations, but I feel like you learning how to control your thoughts and your emotions is a maturity piece that, you know, obviously has helped you become super successful, which maybe was something that was lacking in the past. Yeah. And I still think it's probably the part of my game that I have to work most on. Cause like I'm an emotional person and like, that's just who I am. I'll never it will never change, but like, it's just something that, yeah, I've got to work on constantly rather than just like, let it be there because I feel like that's just what's really important to me. And it is a hard thing. Like everyone's like, Oh, just relax. And I'm like, yeah, but do you know how hard that is sometimes? Like just to relax. Like, do you know what's going on in my mind? (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I'm thinking about? I don't think so. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So what I loved about, well, 2017 happens you blow up like I just loved seeing you thrive getting the respect that you deserved on the not only in the NWSL but then on the international stage and you you become a household name at that point and this is kind of like the beginning of your explosion and so and and also I would say that this coincided with again Matilda's doing really well but then the recognition of women's football in Australia you guys hosted some games you got some really big crowds what was that like for you was that kind of like oh you look back on your childhood and soccer is getting the respect and the attention it deserves in Australia Um, but I think and I think that's a lot because of you like you built that which is really cool 
Yeah, I think that like those games we had, I think again, it was against Brazil. Um, we yeah. played Brazil at home and like, you know, whenever we would play in a big crowd, it was always an away game. And it was like so cool to like go out there and play in front of a big, big crowd. But this time it was like, I remember we were walking out to the warm up and like, girls were like really emotional. Like we had like 17,000 people like, yeah. um, but yeah, it was just like an emotional time because it was like people were starting to pay attention and starting to want to come see us and come see individual athletes. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I guess the current players had a lot to do with that, but it was like building for so long. Totally. So it, yeah, it was really cool moment to be a part of. And the Matildas now have done so much to like grow the game. For sure. The Matildas aren't just a football team in Australia now. They're like a brand. Yeah. Okay. So 2019 World Cup, where was your head at going into that? What were you thinking? Yeah, I was really, I was excited. I'd had like no injuries. I'd had the prep that I'd wanted the last two World Cups. Um, I felt like we had a, pretty solid team we had an amazing coach I felt like everything was going in our favor I was excited but at the same time like there's no denying I felt a lot of pressure from like home not Mm -hmm. as in like my family but like Australia in general like personally but also as a team like people were they were relying on us now to do well and we'd never had that at a world cup it was like oh we could be the dark horse but now people were like okay the Matildas should do well Do you feel like you like that pressure? Yes and no. Like, no, I would say no, as in we're so used to being the underdog and that's what we're built on. Like one Mm -hmm. of our slogans is like, never say die. It's like, we're the underdog. People write us off and it's like, we keep going. Yes. As in like, you want to be the favorite, you want to go out there. But I think that the team and myself are so used to like that other mentality. So it was a learning curve for like myself and the team. So it wasn't what we're used to, but I also love to prove people wrong. And do you think that for you guys to be super successful on, you know, get as as high as you want to get on the international stage, you think that it's going to have to be like a cultural shift within the team to be like, okay, we're no longer the underdogs. We're really freaking good. And um, we need to accept this pressure for what it is and these expectations for what it is. Yeah, I definitely think so. But I also think like, it's just like, there's so many cultural things. Like we used to normally always just have like 11 players that could start and like get on the field. And it was like, everyone else was just happy to kind of like be there. But like, I think the culture, like it needs to change now where everyone's like, I want to be on that team. And that's what mm-hmm. makes a great team is like not the 11 that play. It's like the 23 people say, Oh, that that's not true. I'm like, no, it, it's 100% true. Like if you don't have your 23rd player pushing the first player, then like, you're not going to win. And I think that for us is like massive. Like it's not arrogant, but we need to have that about us. Like we're playing a team. We're not going to win one nil. We're going to pump five goals by like yeah. past them. Yeah. And still now we struggle against like teams that maybe are ranked less or like higher than us. We still struggle, but then we like come out against a, a big nation team and, and play well. It's so true. I'm not going to ask you any more Matilda questions because I don't want to help too much with y'all's success. <laughs> <laughs> But so in the 2019 World Cup, like you are basically one of the biggest names of the tournament. You come back 2-0 down against, again, Brazil. Brazil. (laughs) You win 3-2. You score five goals in the tournament. Like, do you feel as a whole that was what you not expected out of the tournament, but were you happy? Like what was leaving that? How did you feel? 
yeah, I think with how it ended, I felt pretty terrible. Yeah. I mean, that's, I feel like that was a crappy question for me to ask because it's like, unless you win. I know what yeah. you mean. Like how it ended, I felt like pretty terrible. But then like as the player I am, I, I always look at the chances I miss. Like I'm not sitting at home going, oh, I scored four goals. I'm so good. I'm sitting yeah. at home going, dang, like we could have beat Italy and been not chasing the whole World Cup if I just had of like taken my chances in the first few minutes. Like, and I think that's always the way a tournament is when you don't finish where you want to finish. For sure. Well, you come back. Do you score a hat trick in the yeah. game in the first NWSL game you come back to? Yeah. Which is, I feel like that just shows the type of player you are and the mentality that you have. Like you left that World Cup being like, well, I freaking should have tapped in five more goals so you come back you score hat trick and then you also get your second mvp and you get golden boot again so do you think you you kind of like returned to the MSL and had a chip on your shoulder and were like man i didn't do what i wanted exactly to do in the world cup like do what i'm what i need to do here yeah for sure and i think like after the world cup i just need some time away from football and i was like sitting on the beach in france and i was like oh my Must god nice. i need I need to go play football like and I changed my flight and I was like straight back to Chicago met them in I think I no I, yeah I got I think to it was Orlando, Orlando. Right? I didn't tra- yeah. I didn't train I just went straight from there like and I Put was on like, the jersey in the yeah, in and, the airport bathroom and and I don't think Chicago had scored the whole time I was you were at gone. the world yeah I was gone so I was like I just thought like I've had such a bad tournament not a bad tournament I always say that and everyone's like you scored five goals I'm like yeah, I just like had bad feelings and I was like thought I needed time away from football but then realised like, okay, I need to like get back in the groove and I went back and it was the best thing like for me. Like I just like reinforced like my brain like, okay, that's not going to define who you are and yeah. like just had to get back out there and yeah, it just kind of went from there. Keep crushing, get an MVP, yeah. get a golden boot. <laughs> you guys lose in the in the finals. Yeah. But post NWSL season, you know, there's rumors flying around. I think I texted you, yo, you going to Europe? What are you doing? You're like, I don't know. And then you sign with Chelsea. So what went into that decision? Yeah, lots honestly went into it. I was talking about going to Europe for a few years and like I was always umming and ahhing, I don't know, I don't know. And then like that year I was just like, I think I want to do it. And it wasn't about like leaving or whatever. It was more just like, I'd given what I could to the NWSL and I was like, I want to be challenged in a whole new way football-wise. And, yeah, that was the main thing is, like, I want to be challenged in a different way. Like, it's just different football here. It's like everyone always asks me, oh, why is it different? I'm like, I just can't explain it. It's just it's just different, you know? Yeah. The trainings we do, like, everything is just so different. Totally. What do you think the biggest difference is? I mean, I know you just said, oh, I can't, I can't say it. it's just different. Yeah. But, like, if you could, what would it be? I think for me, the biggest difference is like training here is like super, super intense and like everything goes into training. And that's mm-hmm. what I've like realized here is that like maybe sometimes the training can be harder than the game, but like I feel like I'm getting better every, every day because everything matters here. Like I have a million meetings and it drives me nuts, but like I also am seeing results from it. So yeah. I'm like enjoying the process. Yeah. Makes sense. So this is, you're starting your first true full season with Chelsea. You'll be in Champions League as well. What are your personal expectations for the year, would you say? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously we have so many tournaments. So my first, like always my first goal every season is to just be healthy, like first and foremost, always just want to be healthy. But yeah, like it's going to be tough. There's going to be times when I play, there's going to be times when I'm disappointed I'm not playing. It's there's. I think if we go to like the semifinal of every tournament, which is FA Cup, we play like 50 club games. So I just want to have like the biggest impact I can have on the team. Um, I know as a striker, like I'm expected to score goals and I obviously want to score goals, but like there's so much more to that. Yeah. All right. So I'm excited to watch you in England, although I wish you were still over here in America, but it's fun to like follow you over there and, and watch your success. So, (laughs) but just to wrap things up, which we kind of talked about it earlier in terms of, the explosion of women's football in Australia last year, a few months after the World Cup, you guys signed a new CBA, which guaranteed equal pay between the men's and women's team in Australia. So do you think that's a really big step for you guys in terms of building the sport in Australia? Yeah, for sure. I I think it's really important, not only for the team, but for the individual. Like what we want is for girls to be able to give everything to football and perform at the highest level. And then for us, it's like people see it as like, oh, you don't get as much whatever as the men, you can't get paid as much. But we see it as like, well, if you give us this, then we will get it to that. For Um, sure. And we're really lucky our men's team has been like so great, so supportive, and like they see, I guess, the vision that we see for the Matildas. um, Yeah, they were super supportive publicly, you know, coming out and, yeah. And also, like, they they took, not a cut, but they gave us more of the percentage so that it could be equal, which was, yeah. like, really great. So I feel like for us it's, like, what we needed to, like, have no excuses now. Girls have to be doing what they can, and I think that's why you see so many girls over in Europe right now is because, like, they need to be playing full professional all year round and lots of girls were just staying at home. So now I feel like there's no excuse for us to not get to where we want to go. And investment is really important in that. Like it's super important. Yeah. And just people take it seriously. It's like, this is my job. This is my career. This is the, the reason I wake up in the morning is to make my professional career the best it possibly can be. And that you have to have that support from your Federation to feel that way. And then looking to the future, 2023 World Cup will be jointly held or hosted uh, by Australia and New Zealand. What was your reaction to that news? Were you just over Uh, the moon? I mean, I was so nervous the whole day and I was doing the whole, we're not going to win, we're not going to win because I didn't want to be disappointed. So when my like screen froze and I just heard the Australia and yeah, we, I mean, like what a moment, like we, I couldn't even dreamed of like, getting 5,000 people at the Matildas when I first played. And now we're going to host the World Cup. And, like, we already broke the record last year against Chile. And, like, I can almost guarantee that when those tickets go on sale, we'll sell out, like, the Sydney Olympic Stadium, which holds 85,000 people. Like, it's it's going to be amazing that we get to, one, play a World Cup on a home soil, but also, like, show the rest of the world, like, how far women's football has come um, in Australia and New Zealand. And I think we're, like, really proud of it. Like, it's like we have created this because you don't give a World Cup to a team that's just like, oh, yeah, we just do women's football sometimes. Like, we've made it, like, what it is. Um, Yeah, I was about to say, I feel like this 
Australia and New Zealand hosting the World Cup is the culmination of all of the effort and time and just success that you guys have brought the team through the years. And like, you are that core part of it. You know, like you built this team, this federation essentially. And yeah, like I can't imagine it. Like, I'm like, I actually can't imagine it. Like, I'm not going to have to sit in a plane for 20 hours to get somewhere. Like everyone else is going to have to sit in a plane for 20 hours and and, feel what you feel. Think about their game. Like they're going to sit on that plane for 20 hours and think about all the bad things they've done in football. (laughs) Oh my God. It's going to be awesome. That's so exciting. Yeah. All right. So just to finish up, we do repeat questions at the end. So, They say, work hard, get lucky. How much of your success is predicated on luck? Do you want my answer or what my friends would say? (laughs) Ah, Give me both. I actually think that's hilarious. What is it? My friends think I'm like the luckiest person in the world. They're like, you're touched. You're literally touched. I mean, you are kind of like a golden child. (laughs) They just think everything I do, like we'll be playing like basketball and I'll do some crazy shot and they're like, oh, you're just ridiculous. But... I am a lucky person. I won't, I'm not shy to admit that, but I also like do a lot of work to get what I, I would say 50, 50, 50, 50. All right. That's good. I, you are lucky, but I also just think that like you said, that's who you are. Not lucky, but I see what your friends are saying. <laughs> so you've accomplished so much already in your career. Where do you go next and how do you keep pushing? Yeah, I think the more you kind of do, the more you want. Like it's me being a greedy striker again, but you never get to a point where you're like, oh yeah, that was fun. I'm done now. Like I see myself like another world cup. I see myself scoring those two tap-ins at the back post to, you know, challenge for the golden boot. Like I always see myself now at like, I want to win golden boots. I want to win all those things. But at the end of the day, like I would I just want to be a part of a team that like is successful. So with the national team, like it's like a dream of mine to like win trophies consistently. I know that's really, really hard to do, but that's where I see myself. How do you keep pushing for that? Uh, I mean, it's, it's a grind every day. And I think I've noticed that being here more so than ever, like taking myself seriously every day has like made such a difference, but also like still keeping who I am but silly family alive yeah 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 still gonna keep that but I think yeah it's because that's what I want to do like if I wake up one day and I don't want to be the best then I'll probably retire like it's it's who I am and like I don't know I always say to people I'll know when I'm ready to retire and they're like how and I'm like because I won't wake up and be like oh what am I doing today like I'll be like oh I want to go to do this or do that you know yeah makes sense I think my mind will give up before my body for sure really yeah. Oh, see, I think it's going to be the opposite for me. My body's going to give up before my mind. But maybe yeah, but not. You're, but you're like, you're, you're a bit crazy. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe once I get older, I'll change. But like I yeah. always feel like there'll be a point when I'm not chasing something anymore. For sure. Makes sense. Well, I mean, you've already accomplished so much, like I said, but I know that you're still out there chasing and as your friend and a fan. I'm a fan of you. That's so funny. Like I am a fan. (laughs) I'm excited to watch everything that you do next. It's been fun to watch so far. And I just feel like the story of Sam Kerr is, is just getting started and you're going to accomplish so much more down the road. Um, So thanks for coming on today. 
Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm coming for you little USA players out there. I know you are. I, That's what I'm I, was, I was hoping some of you would just have more babies or retire or something for 2023. <laughs> I mean, who knows what can happen in the next two years. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And also, don't forget to sign up for the Just Women Sports newsletter. It's everything you need to see and know in women's sports delivered straight to your inbox. And while you're at it, also throw us a follow on social. It's at Just Women Sports. Our show is co-produced by Just Women Sports and Boom Integrated, a division of John Marshall Media. Big thanks to our executive producers, Haley Rosen, Adrian Glover, and Robin Lai. John Murray and Sydney Shaw do our research. Post-production is by Jen Grossman and Clint Rhodes. Special thanks to Jesse Louie, Sarah Storm, and Haley Kottmeyer. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and you've been listening to the Just Women Sports Podcast. See you next week.